Welcome to another in our series of Kehillat Israel podcasts. This is a recording of Rabbi Amy Bernstein's weekly Friday morning Torah study. We are in Parshat Chukat this morning. Uh, sometimes it is read together with Parshat Balak, uh, so Chukat Balak, but it is read separately this year. Uh, and we are in the second year triennial division, and that means that we are at the incident um, of May Mariva. We are at the incident um, where the people are complaining that they don't have water, um, and it is up to Moshe to uh, and Aharon to figure out how to get them water. So they have a conversation with God, of course, and then things go a little off the rails. And uh, we have studied this Parsha together, many of us, um, many times. Um, and so if you want to hear, you know, some of the more straightforward, here's all the rabbinic arguments. We're going to review a little bit of it today about, you know, what happened. Um, then you can listen to three years ago and six years ago, the podcast. Uh, and that will give you two two other shiurim by me on this Parsha. Um, this, this year, I, I always get excited when this happens. I found a new... Um, teaching on this Parsha that I've not heard before. So I've not heard this particular explanation of what happened at Memoriva. Uh, and so I'm very excited um, to share that with you this morning and we'll walk through that. The Parsha begins with um, the way to um, bring someone back uh, when they have been in a state of death impurity. So we've talked about Tum'ah, we've talked about um, the ritual state of being um, other, so of being impure, that the regular state is a state of purity, and then you can participate fully in the cult if you are ritually pure. Um, if you are impure, you have to deal with that before you can come back into the um regular communal participation because you will spread contamination. So one had to be isolated when one is exposed to impurity. We are commanded to be exposed to impurity because we are commanded to bury the dead. So it is obviously not that it's a bad thing. It's that Torah recognizes it as a different state, a state of otherness. And if any of you have come into contact with a corpse, you are in a state of otherness for a bit. You just are. I mean, that's just reality. It's it's unsettling to be around a human body that's dead. It just is. So it's not that it's bad or wrong. It's that you, it brings us so in touch with mortality and so in touch with our own mortality, so in touch with the fact that we are finite, that everyone is finite, that it you know, it really puts us in a state of, of otherness for a bit. So I think Torah is actually dealing with something that's, that's real um, that happens for us whenever we come really close to to death. So remember, a corpse communicates the highest level of tuma of anything. So a, a corpse communicates the highest level of impurity that's possible. Um, and so you need you need a, a much more strong way to bring people back. You need a stronger detergent than you need um, for other things. And the detergent in this case is the red heifer. Uh, they are to take a red heifer and uh, Aaron is to prepare um, a treatment, if you will, for death impurity um, with the ashes of the red heifer. So we get all of that first in this Parsha. And then we get a recounting of the incident at May Mariva. 
So here's the text of May Mariva. Let's look at what happens in our story. So they, the entire congregation of Israel arrives at Midbartzin, the wilderness of Tzin, in the first month. And, and the people stay at Kadesh. So, and Miriam dies there and is buried there. The minute Miriam dies, what's the very next pasuk? What's the very next sentence of Torah? And the community didn't have water. So what do Jews do when they are in trouble? <laughs> they gang up. Literally, this is about, this is the verb for becoming a kahal, for gathering together to become a kehilah, to become, you know, a, a congregation. They congregate al Moshev, al Aharon. When it says al, it is not a good thing. Al means on. So they congregate on Moses and Aaron. So what does that mean? They gang up against Moses and Aaron because they don't have water. In the rabbinic tradition, part of rabbinic uh, Torah exegesis is that if you have two psukim this close to each other with no break between them, we know that they draw from all parts of the Torah to relate things to each other that don't necessarily relate to each other. But when they're right smack next to each other like this, there has to be an interpretation to explain why these verses are next to each other. Yes, because they must have something to do with each other. So anybody want to guess what the meaning for the rabbis is between verse one and verse two? Like why they're so close together? Miriam has the superpower of finding water. (laughs) That's right. Barry gets the gold star. They explain verse two coming directly after verse one by suggesting if it says they come to here and, and Miriam dies and immediately says they don't have water, it must mean... That Oh, sorry, I meant between verse 2 and, for, or, you, you know what I'm talking about. So if it says Miriam dies, and then the very next thing is they don't have water, it must mean Miriam provided the water. Exactly. And so that's, ex- that's exactly where the rabbis go. And then the Midrashic tradition is that Miriam was the one who would call to the waters, and the waters would answer by sh- filling the well. Because another place in Torah, we get this um, thing that she calls and they respond. And the Midrashic tradition says, don't read they respond, meaning B'nai Yisrael, the people of Israel. Rather, they is uh, mine, is the waters, because waters is plural. So, uh, so that's how we know that Miriam would call and the waters would respond. And there was always, therefore, a well wherever Miriam was. And that, that water didn't just slake their thirst, it also healed them from anything, like if they stepped on a briar or they ran into a twig, like whatever it was, that their injuries were, this also healed them from their injuries. All right, so, so that's the Midrashic tradition around these verses, um, verse one and verse two, that Miriam dies and is buried. And the very next thing we hear in verse two, and there was no water for Okay, so the people gang up against Moshe and Aharon, and the people argue with Moshe, and they said, if only 
Gavanu achenu. If only we had perished the perishing of our brothers before God. Why have y'all brought God's congregation to the wilderness, to this wilderness, to die here? Us and our and our animals. And why did you take us up from Egypt to bring us to this terrible to bring us to this ra, this place that is evil, that is bad. This is not a place that has, you know, zera, that has things that are, you know, that go to seed, that flower. <coughs> there's no te'ena, there's no figs, there's no geffen, so there's nothing that comes off the vine. There's no pomegranates, and there's not even water, lishto, to drink. And Moshe and Aharon came away from the congregation to the entrance, El to the, the entrance to the tent of meeting. And what did they do? And they fell on their faces. And what happens when they fall on their faces? All of a sudden, bum, 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 appears to them what? Kivod Yudhevave, the presence, the glory, the essence, if you will, of Yudhevave, um, that that appears to them. So we assume that's for a reason. And of course it is. Here we are in verse seven. Uh, God's going to talk, right? So God doesn't just appear. Usually God appears to do something. And God is appearing here to talk to them. So God speaks to Moshe saying, okay, pay attention. Kach so this is important for our teaching this morning. We're going to look at every single verb that God commands Moshe to do. Because the teacher that I'm going to quote, Rabbi Menachem Liebtag, he, he walks us through every verb and then Moshe's execution or non-execution to try to figure out what is the problem with this incident. And, and I'll show you that there's a problem in a minute. But let's look at the verbs. Kach, take. What is Moshe supposed to take? Hamate, <clears throat> the staff. And gather the people. Atave Aharon, Achicha, you and Aaron, your brother. Vidibartem el Hasela, and speak. We're going to translate it as we usually do, although our, some of our, our lesson today, he's going to translate it differently. The Debartem El Hasela and talk to the rock. That's how we normally translate El Hasela to the rock. Le'enehem, before their eyes. Vinatan Meimav, and it will, that it, that it give its waters. And now here comes another verb. V'hotzei Tadlahem Mayim. Bring out for them water, min hasela, from the rock. This is a verb that exists in Hebrew that does not exist in English. Hishkita, um, you will slake their thirst. That's as close as we can get in English. So this really means water them, right? Water the people and their, and their animals. Okay. This is the command of God. In verse eight. So now we get a description. So let's see what does Moshe do? Vayikach Moshe etamate. He takes the staff. Milifne Adonai. This is important. He takes the staff 
from before Yud Hey Vav Hey, Ka'asher Tzivahu, as he had been commanded. He takes the staff from before Yud Hey Vav Hey, as he was commanded. All right, keep that in your brains. So it seems he follows that order. So, and they gathered together the kahal, okay, um, in front of the rock. That seems to be what he was supposed to do, okay. And he says to them, Listen up, you rebels. From this rock shall we bring forth for you water? Okay, that was uncommanded, right? That Moshe says this is not commanded. He says it, okay? Verse 11, so Moshe lifts his hand and he strikes the rock with his staff. Pay attention to this language because this is going to be important for our teacher, Rabbi Liebtag. He strikes the rock with his staff twice. Vayitzu mayim rabim. And out came a whole bunch of water. Okay, what is going on over here with the Leonard Nimoy stuff? Like, I, I don't know what's happening here. We're all being blessed to live long and prosper. Okay. So, um, and the people drank, they and their beasts. Okay, so, so Moshe takes his staff and hits the rock twice. Again, this is not what is commanded, but it seems that it fulfills the commandment in that the it, God said, and bring out water from the rock for them. And that seems to be what Moshe does. He brings forth water from the rock the way he did 40 years ago. Um, when this happened before, God told him, take your staff and strike the rock <clears throat> 40 years ago. So when Moshe is told, take out water from the rock, it could be assumed that he's supposed to take his staff and hit the rock. All right. Could be assumed. All right. <clears throat> Verse 12. And Yudhe Vave says to Moshe and Aharon, Ya'an lohe emantembi. God says to them, lohe emantembi. So now we have to figure out how to translate that. Because y'all didn't trust me, believe in me, have faith in me. This is from emunah. This is from the word amen. Right to affirm, to support. This is where Liebtag goes. Is this is about support because y'all didn't support me. Lahak disheni to 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 make me kadosh, to sanctify me in the eyes of Bnei Israel, in the eyes of the people. Lachem, therefore, lo Y'all will not bring this people, this congregation to the place, to the land that I am giving to them. All right. So this, it seems, Moshe and Aharon have done something wrong in not having enough faith or not supporting God enough to sanctify God in the eyes of the people. And because of that, they will not be bringing this people into the land that they are going to inherit. Okay. That seems that something wrong happened. That seems like something went wrong. Something went off the rails or why are they being told they will not bring this kahal into the land? What just happened? 
So, of course, our commentators want to look right for, you know, for what went on here. Hema me Mariva. These are the, the waters of Mariva, meaning the Israelites ravu. They quarreled with God, um, right? Vayikadeshbam, through which God affirmed God's sanctity. But clearly Moshe and Aharon did not, right? Do what they were supposed to do in order for God to be sanctified in the eyes of the people. Okay. So this... This has troubled our mafarshim, our interpreters, forever. This feels like a pretty big consequence when we're not even clear what went wrong. We are not clear why Moshe and Aharon are now, just now, being told they can't bring the people in because they didn't trust in God, or if we use Liebtag's teaching, they didn't support God in order to sanctify God in the eyes of the people. Where? (laughs) What happened? Like, water comes out, their thirst is slaked. So what's the problem? Where do we locate the problem? Where do we locate that this is what happened? That they did something wrong? This has troubled our Mepharshim since Torah was (laughs) written and handed down uh, generation to generation. This is the question. What went wrong? Did they sin? If they sinned, what was their sin? And even if we can locate a sin in this, is it is it fair that that even if they made a mistake, if Moshe made a mistake, is it is it fair that he doesn't get to enter the land because of what he does here? So these are these are the big questions about this incident. Depending on which interpretation you go with is what lesson we take from this, what Torah is trying to teach us. So Jody's already guessing, um, you know, that is it about how they act with the people? So let's so let's take a look, because that's what it's, it's where you have to go. You have to go to what what happened, right? You have to look at, at what happened closely to even guess what what's going on all right so he gives in his shiur in his lesson about this parsha uh some what he calls boards so you you go to this board as you go work through his teaching and board one board two board three this is board seven that tells you it's a chart that shows you the command and then the execution right that we just did we looked at what is god command take gather speak Take out, give drinks. So these are all the verbs that we saw in verse eight. And then, then on the other side, we have how Moshe executes them in verses nine through 11. Okay. So you'll have this forever. Not um, Okay. So Judith is guessing they hit instead of spoke. Okay. So it's clear that y'all have studied with me before um, because this is where the Mafarshim go. So let's look at our teacher. Judy, would you get me some tissue, please? So let's let's look at where the Mafarshim go. And our teacher takes us through, like he he's highlighted for us the verbs take, gather, speak, take out, give drink. Okay. So take the staff, Moshe's execution, pretty clear, right? He took the staff. Command two, gather the Ada. Thank you. Gather the congregation. And Moshe gathers the kahal. Moshe and Aaron gather the kahal. Okay. 
That seems pretty clear. Okay. Command number three, speak to the rock that it should give water. He's going to tell us, our teacher, that it's not so clear that speak here, L means speak to the rock. So he, he wants to say um, later, I'll show you, but, but people want to jump on it and say, okay, you know, speak to the rock. And Moshe says to them, the people, listen up, you rebels. Is it possible that we can take water from this rock, right? So he says, it looks like this is the jackpot. Moshe is supposed to speak to the rock and he never does. Rashi, based on this, you know, reading, claims that Moshe is punished for hitting instead of speaking. Okay. So he hits instead of speaks. Lots of our commentators want to go here. So does Rabbi Sachs. So does Aviva Zornberg. A lot of people want to go to this was Moshe's sin. Why is it such a big deal? So hold that question. If his if where he goes wrong is that he hits the rock instead of speaking to it, why is that such a big deal? And so let's hold that question. And then the other question is, why does it work then? <laughs> Moshe, Moshe was told to hit the rock 40 years ago. He does it here and it works. So if that's not what he's supposed to do, why does it work? Okay. So those are two questions if we're going to take Rashi's interpretation. Rambam and Ramban, so Maimonides and Nachmanides disagree. They instead go to this business of speaking to the people and saying that it is, so Rambam, Maimonides says it's the tone of Moshe's rebuke to the people. The tone he uses, listen up, you rebels. He shames them. And that this is his mistake. Nachmanides sees the content of what Moshe says as the basis of the sin of Moshe and Aharon, how that it is suggesting they're going to bring water from the rock here, right? Is it possible that we can take out water from the rock? That it was they, they're, they're kind of representing that it's they and not God who are going to produce water from the rock. That in both of these cases, it is a chilu Hashem, it's a desecration of God and God's name instead of the opposite, which we see God charge them with the opposite, which was the opportunity for Kiddush Hashem, the sanctification of God's name. Okay, here's where his teaching is different, which I've never heard before. And that is, one could argue, however, that Moshe's rebuke to the people is warranted. He may have understood God's command, speak to the rock, as meaning speak about the rock in front of the people, about the possibility that it could give water. And we saw those words, that it give its water, right? After all, rocks don't have ears, right? So why should Moshe talk to something that doesn't have ears? Why would it, that makes no sense, says our teacher here. Um, and so does Nachmanides say this in refuting Rashi, who member says that it's about him hitting, not talking. Ramban, Nachmanides, in arguing with Rashi, says, uh-uh, there, it makes no sense to ask Moshe to speak to the rock because it can't hear. <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't make any sense. It stands to reason God wants Moshe to speak to the people and talk about the rock. 
rather than to the rock. Okay. So let's, let's hold that as possible. If that's possible, the sin is not hitting. Okay. He hits, he hits the people. Yeah, what he yeah. does, right. He does not hit the people who just said that. <laughs> I, I did. There is no indication that he hits the people. Okay. So, so you're back up there with, you know, Ramban and Rambam who say it's, it's what he says or the tone in which he says it. Okay. Okay. But let's hold this possibility that, that what, what he does wrong is not about hitting. Let's just hold that possibility that he's supposed to speak about the rock to the people. If all of that is true, we still don't have anything wrong that, that, that we can refute. We can refute all of these and the Mepharshim refute each other pretty effectively. All right. So one more uh, Perush, one more interpretation is Ibn Ezra, who says, you're not reading carefully enough. It's not that he hits the rock. That's efficacious. That's fine. What it is is pa'amayim. He hits it twice. So he goes overboard. He, he almost undermines trust in the fact that striking the rock would bring water. There's no trust. And he hits it again. All right, so this is even Ezra's interpretation, um, and he kind of rests his case there of the Mafarshi. These are our most famous commentators, and most uh, arguments about what went wrong is a version of one of these, okay? So a- anyone who's going to tell you what Moshe did wrong, it's a version of one of these. Because um, look at number five, the command, give drink to the people and their animals, he does. So it clearly... That's not what went wrong. Okay. So, dun, 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 part two. Did Moshe do anything wrong? Okay. <coughs> He's going to take us <coughs> back to the very beginning. He's going to take us back to the very opening lines of the story. He's not going to focus his interpretation of what went wrong on the incident Um, that we just read through very carefully, he's going to locate it here. All right. B'nai Israel arrive at Midbartzin. There was no water for the people. They gather against Moshe and Aaron. They argue with them saying, now think about how chutzpah this is. Remember, God is listening (laughs) to this. So God hears this. And what are they saying? It would have been better had we died with our brethren, Lifnei Hashem. Who are they referring to? What is this referring to? Lifnei Hashem. Who died Lifnei Hashem? Oh, yeah. Those 250 rebels. Remember from last week? You remember? They all got schmeist. They got, right? They died Lifnei Hashem. It's better that that should have happened to us. Why did you bring us out here to die? And why did you take us out of Egypt to this awful, evil place where there's nothing to eat and there's not even water to drink. God is listening right now. They've just been through the trauma of the rebellion of Korach and his band and and, and Datam and Abiram and those claims against Moshe and Aaron's leadership. And now they're whining and complaining that they should have died with them instead of coming out here to die. And Egypt was amazing. And you took us out of there. Okay, so imagine how God 
must be feeling right now, <laughs> right? Right. This ungrateful, incredibly awful people like can't hold it together for five seconds without saying we, we should have died with our brethren. We need to go back to Egypt. You brought us out here to kill us. They're, they're charging God really with bringing them out there to die. It wasn't Moshe's idea to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Moshe didn't make miracles happen that brought them out of the land of Egypt. Who did? God. This maybe is where they had the opportunity for Kiddush Hashem, for sanctifying God in the eyes of the people. But what did they do? They came to the opening of the Ohel Moed, running away from the congregation, and they fell on their faces. Our teacher wants to argue, is it not precisely in situations as these when leadership must take a stand? Right. So if you look at Exodus 17, one through seven, what happens there? Right. When they start complaining um, it, it, that there's no water at Rephidim 40 years before, what does Moshe say to them immediately when they start complaining? Why are y'all arguing with me? Why are y'all testing God by whining and complaining like this. Don't you trust that the God who brought you out of Eretz Mitzrayim and and killed the firstborn of Egypt and brought Pharaoh to his knees? Don't you trust that that God can make a water fountain happen for you? That's the response 40 years ago. At Rephidim, he immediately challenges their complaints, condemns their criticism, right, as a reflection of their lack of faith. And only when they keep complaining does Moshe go to God and say, okay, you got to help me here. These people are making me crazy. I don't know what to do with them. And then God says, take your staff and hit the rock. Yeah. All right. Now he's going to bolster this argument. He's going to support this argument looking at the staff, which I've never thought about before, people. I've been doing this a long time. So this is very exciting. (laughs) So what does he say? He says, look at what God says to Moshe. God says, Kach et hamate. take the staff and gather the people. And where is the staff? Before God. What staff is before God? God forbid we should think it's Moshe's staff because what? He's going to use the, the, the Holy of Holies as his personal closet? Asks our commentator, God forbid, chas v'shalom, chas v'chalila, Moshe would put his staff in the Holy of Holies. Whose staff did we read about last week being put lifne Adonai? Do you remember? Aaron's staff. Remember the one that flowered with buds and flowers and almonds in this huge miracle that God performed? Uh, that staff was put me lifne Adonai. That was put in front of the ark. Why? Why was it put in front of the ark? Well, our teacher tells us, if you look at chapter 17, verses 25 and 26, that we read last week, it was a sign. Remember, we talked about an oat, a sign being a good thing. It's a sign for what? Livne Mary, to to those who want to rebel. That staff, the proof that God is with them, that God can do anything, that God can take a dead staff and make it, not only live, but bring forth boom, 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 really quickly, you know, from bud to flower to full, full on fruit. That staff is the symbol, the oat, the sign 
that God is here. God can do anything. It was meant to be used for those who would rebel as right. The answer, the proof that they're, they're rebelling. What they're claiming is untrue. And that's what Moshe was supposed to, was supposed to have it for that flowering staff that's put Lifne Adonai. Why is it Lifne Adonai? Because it's an oat. Meaning Moshe should have gone and gotten it. God says, go take the staff. Me Lifne Adonai. God is clear. Go get Aaron's staff. But Moshe missed the opportunity. Moshe didn't do it himself. What did they do instead? They went to the Ohel Moed and fell on their faces rather than going to get exactly what God had given them, an oat assigned to use at exactly this kind of moment with the people because God knew it was going to happen again because God knows the Jewish people. <laughs> and, and this is the second generation. This is the next generation. This is the generation that's going to enter the promised land. God had a clue that this was going to keep happening, particularly as they faced conquest, particularly as they faced war, particularly as they're afraid about entering the land and what that's going to mean and what that's going to take. And so he gives them this staff to use every time this people freaks out and Moshe doesn't do it. Neither does Aaron. Instead, they Right, they go to the uh, Ohel Moed and they fall on their faces. The Mate of Aharon, the staff of Aharon, that's supposed to be used as an oat leaf named Mary, that's supposed to be used as a sign when you've got these rebellious Israelites and it's going to keep happening. Moshe understood that part. Look, Shimuna Hamorim, listen up, you what? You rebels. It's the same word. The staff that was supposed to be an ut assigned to use when the people are rebellious, he says to them, listen up, rebels. So he knows that's what's happening. And he knows that he's supposed to answer, right, re- rebelliousness with this oat, with this sign. But it's too late. It's too late. But it does explain that he thinks he's supposed to be talking about the rock not to the rock, right? That he says, can we take water from this rock that it should give forth water? What he's saying is, haven't you seen this before? Do you not think water can come out of this rock? You've seen this before, people. Calm down, behave. And that's what he says to them. And then what happens? I told you to pay attention to when it says he hits the rock, he takes his staff and hits the rock. So our teacher's arguing that's what he was supposed to do. The same way he did 40 years ago. Take your staff and hit the rock. Aharon's staff was supposed to be an oat. It was supposed to be a way to sanctify God in the eyes of the people. Moshe was to give that staff to Aaron to remain as a sign. And then he was supposed to use his staff to do what he did last time, to hit the rock and bring out the water. And that's what he does, right? He was supposed to speak about the rock, which he does in front of the people. And then you shall take out water. That's what he does. 
He takes his staff, hits the rock, and brings forth water. He's done nothing wrong here, says our teacher. In following every single commandment of verse 8, he follows it to the letter. The problem was earlier. The problem was that they failed to answer the people's rebelliousness and they're complaining and they're saying you brought us out here to die, meaning they're actually talking about God bringing them out there to die. You didn't challenge that. You didn't say, here's the staff. Don't forget, y'all need to calm down, right? They didn't do that. And so our teacher answers that's why we get this uh, Pasuk chapter 20, verse 12. Therefore, because you did not support me in the eyes of the people to sanctify me in this incident, again with them complaining and whatever and rebelling. And we just saw Korach. We just saw how, how big that consequence was. They do it again. And y'all didn't address it. And therefore, you are not the ones to lead this nation into the land. Because it's clear that you all have failed as leaders. So rather than seeing this as a punishment, they, they, God is acknowledging that they have failed as national leaders and that they are not the leaders for this moment. So even though Rabbi Sachs locates Moshe's wrongdoing in a different place, he agrees with our teacher that all of this is about God realizing that Moshe and Aharon are not the ones to lead this generation into the new start, the new beginning that is going to be um, the people Israel in the promised land. So he he says, you don't, you didn't have faith in me, but then he looks at all these other texts and says, in all these other places, emunah, and the the that's the noun, but the verb form of that um, is used to, to mean support or sustain, that you weren't supportive of me. I love that interpretation because that makes more sense to me. You didn't support me in the eyes of the people. That makes sense to me, rather than you didn't believe in me, because we're going to what we think Moshe doesn't believe in God, like, or doesn't believe in God's capabilities. I don't think so. I think he's right that it means you didn't support me when they complained in ways that implicated me that I brought them out here to die. Right. And that I'm going to let them starve or, or whatever it is that happens when you die from thirst. Right. I don't think we have a verb for that in English, but you know, you, you think that's what I'm going to let, You think I'm going to let that happen? They think I'm going to let that happen? Why didn't you answer them? Okay. So he also says, you know what? This has been going on for a while. This is not the first place or the first time their leadership has faltered or Moshe's leadership has faltered. At Kivrot Hata'ava, Moshe admits his own inability to lead the people. So we'd have to go look at that proof text to see, do we buy it? Later, Miriam, Moshe's own sister, expresses disapproval over his leadership. So he wants to say that incident of Moshe, you know, of uh, Miriam talking to Aaron about Moshe, that that's actually her as one of the three leaders of the people acknowledging that Moshe is not doing his job and that and that that's what that is about. Okay, that when the Maraglim, when the spies return, Moshe and Aharon fall on their faces 
again, we see. So for God, it's like, wait a minute, this is starting to feel a little too familiar. (laughs) When things go wonky, y'all fall on your faces. And that meant Caleb and Joshua were the ones who had to calm the people down. That wasn't their job. That was Moses and Aaron's job to calm the people down and they failed. They fell on their faces and it was left to Caleb and Yehoshua to do. When Moshe and Aaron's leadership is challenged by Korach, they again fall on their faces in despair. So for our teacher, he's bringing these as you know what, it's not just this incident. God finally gets it that these two are just not up to doing this job of dealing with rebelling Israelites. It doesn't mean they're bad people. It doesn't mean they're not righteous. It doesn't mean they're not fantastic teachers and and priests and whatever. It means they are unable to answer the rebellion the way that will lead to a Kiddush Hashem, that will lead to a sanctification of God rather than, you know, the opposite. And they keep doing this. They keep falling on their faces. And this is the last straw. It's not that this was the worst, it's that it's the last, that God's like, okay, I get it. When someone shows you who they are, believe them. You know, it's like these guys can't hack it. They can't do it anymore. And that is why uh, in this incident, they they did not, lo he'emantembi, y'all didn't support me. And this is not the first time. It's happened over and over and over. And this is not the kind of leadership that this new generation needs to take them into the promised land. It just isn't. They need, and 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 and, what, and at one point, our teacher, Rabbi Leaftag says, look, Moshe was hanging out on Sinai with God for 40 days and 40 nights. He was changed by that experience. He was, remember, remember the light was coming off his face and he had to veil his face. Remember that? that all the rays of light were coming off Moshe and you couldn't look at him anymore because he was shining with God's presence. And you want that guy to deal with waterworks and plumbing and the transportation system and right rapid transit. No, he can't do it. He doesn't have the tolerance for it. He's reached a level where he cannot deal with this bickering, carping, complaining, criticizing people. That's fine, but it means you can't keep the job. If you can't do it, that's fine, Moshe. I get it. And what happens very soon is what? Aaron dies and Moshe dies. So you could argue, well, that's a pretty harsh punishment, right? Is that, you know, that, okay, he's not going to lead the people, but he's also going to die. Like, that's pretty harsh. But if you read the way we just read and say, Moshe's reached this level where he's been with God and now he can't deal with this, the, the, the minutia of a complaining rabble, you know, who are never satisfied and are always going to keep doing this. He can't deal with it. Okay. So you, you don't need to lead the people into the promised land. And God's like, so I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to bring you home. Moshe dies al pi Hashem by the mouth of God. God's like, okay, I get it. You, you're, you want to be with me? No problem. And God takes Moshe's neshama, takes Moshe's soul back with the kiss uh, uh, 
of death, literally the kiss of death on the mountain. So that is a different interpretation than right then he he's not the leader for this time. And so he's got to go, meaning he's got to die. There is a way to look at it that he's even gotten bigger than the the role of leading this people. Um, seems like the lesson could be viewed that the board of directors must do the tough work. It's, that's absolutely right, David. And that's why I brought you this whole shior and walked you through this, because I really like this interpretation. I really like this interpretation because I too, just like y'all, have had real issues with why the punishment's so harsh. But if we don't understand it as punishment, if we understand it as Moshe and Aaron have proven over and over and now again, and for the last time, that they can't do this job and that they needed to stay calm, they needed to encourage the people, they needed to represent God. Yes, the board of directors has to do that. When there's a pandemic and the synagogue closes, the board of directors and the rabbi can gnash their teeth and express their fear that, oh my God, the synagogue might close. Oh my God, everybody might leave. Oh my gosh, we've dropped by a third. Oh my God, am I going to have a job? Oh my God, people, what are we going to do? That's one approach. <laughs> That's not the approach of responsible leadership, says Arparsha. The responsible leadership of the board of directors, your senior staff say, we're going to do this. We can do this. It's okay. We're going to get through this. We're going to use something called Zoom and we're going to do stuff on Zoom and we're going to teach you how to use it. Right. And, and, the, and, and I also think back to the beginning of the pandemic and the leadership in this country. Think about it. Like this is absolutely a lesson that we just walked through. That, okay, it doesn't mean you're not a smart person. And it doesn't mean that the, that the leadership doesn't have good intentions, but the leadership didn't lead. They didn't lead. They didn't address the problem. They didn't head on, full on, acknowledge, yes, I get it. You're thirsty. There's no water. That's a problem. We're going to take care of it. Hang on. <laughs> like We're going we're gonna to do this. They got, Barry, I saw you shaking your head. Yeah, they got it done in Israel. But not so much here, right? When the streets are erupting, the streets are erupting, right? What do you do? We can, we can do this. We're going to put together a commission. We're going to look into policing. We're going to look into recruiting practices. We're going to start looking into institutionalized racism and the ways that we can address that. That's responsible leadership. Our Parsha is all about they failed. And that's fine. Someone, Dana said, you know, Torah is telling us they're human. Absolutely. Moshe and Aharon are human. We don't have stories of perfect leaders. Even Moshe Rabbeinu, even Moshe, the only one to see God panim el panim, face to face, who dies at the mouth of God, by God's own mouth, metaphorically, um, then even Moshe Rabbeinu is not perfect. We are not Christians who look to Jesus, who's perfect. There is no such thing for us. And that's not even the goal. And in this interpretation, therefore, Moshe and Aaron are not punished. It's simply that they are human and their leadership is for its time. And it's time for new leadership. 
and the people need a different kind of leader. So, so Sachs and Zornberg want to locate Moshe's failure in the fact that, that they yelled at the people. They lost their patience. They're, he struck violently the rock twice and that, uh, I'll, I'll, Deb, I'll respond in a second. So he hits the rock twice uh, and that, that this generation needed something different. The, the staff and strength and power and beatings works with slaves. And that's why God had Moshe take his staff 40 years ago with that generation who were slaves in Egypt and hit the rock and show God's power. That God is powerful like Pharaoh. And the way you do that with slaves is you take a staff and you hit it and you demonstrate power. This generation were not slaves in Egypt. This generation, God wanted to be treated differently. If you're going to deal with a generation of free people, you have to talk to them. You don't take a staff and threaten and hit. That's not what this generation needs. This generation needed Moshe to talk to the rock, to speak and make that miracle happen and demonstrate that power is in words. Because these people are going to need to live by the word of Torah, by the word of God. They're going to have to build a society in the land of Israel uh, based on the word that they got from Sinai, the instructions, the words that Moshe brought them. That's what they're going to be living by. So Zornberg and Sachs want to say that's, that's how they indicate they are not the leaders for this group or for this time because they were, he's still hitting He's still dealing with them as if they were slaves in Egypt. He didn't know how to adapt his leadership to be able to lead free people uh, into uh, a land where they will be free and need to use the power of the word uh, to build uh, a just and equitable society. All right. I know some people want to say some stuff. So I I have a, I have a a question. Uh, God could have thrown Moses out of leadership immediately and assign somebody else, assign some other people, but didn't. And that's, to me, quite interesting. I'm not sure why or how we interpret that, but no, Moses is allowed to continue. And Moses is allowed through the whole book of Deuteronomy to lecture the people, to talk about what's going to happen there. So it's it's not as if it's like a horrible punishment immediately. No, but that's not not argued. No no one's arguing that. The, The argument is... God says, you're not going to lead this people into the promised land because you, y'all didn't support me. Okay, so it's just about cause and effect. It's about the, the, the reasoning so that the questions are all about how, how is that happening here? How do we see that here? But he does, he does get told very soon to invest Joshua. Deuteronomy, if you'll recall, is Moshe's goodbye speech. He is ending now. Right. He's supposed to invest Joshua and the whole book of Deuteronomy is his goodbye speech to the people. Deuteronomy, he's not leading. Right. Because nothing's happening really in Deuteronomy. He's he's it's his speech to the people saying goodbye. It's his final leadership speech. So it's not that long before. Right. The the leadership changes and Moshe takes his leave of the people with a very long, very long speech. Moshe, who says, what I love about it, that Micha Goodman taught us, Moshe is the one who says, I'm a man of uncircumcised lips, right? I'm not a man of speech. And then look at Deuteronomy. <laughs> it's like, you know, this, 
huge, huge, huge oration by Moshe. So I was like, really? Not a man of words? Really? <laughs> like Deuteronomy might suggest otherwise. All right. So, uh, David? Amy, just leaping ahead, because this is such a fascinating uh, thought in what you've described. You think that God looked at Joshua and Caleb and said, you know what? You've proven yourself to me that you are the smartest. You're the toughest. You saw that the monsters could be slain. I'm choosing you for the next leadership. I think then if you go backwards, Moses might have been the best applicant at the time for the job of CEO, getting the people out of Egypt. But that's all that God had to choose from. Yes. So God is really sort of the chairman of the board here, isn't he really? Uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. Like, that's exactly what's happening. And I think you're right that, that Yoshua, right, just recently, you know, with the spies incident, proves himself to be the kind of leader he, he and Caleb um, that Moshe and Aharon are not right now for this people. Yes, they stood up and calmed everybody down while Moshe and Aaron are over there falling on their faces. I think definitely there's a, a connection. And, and and Yoshua has been Moshe's protege. He's been Moshe's protege. But when he, with the incident of the spies, it's like, okay, you've proven you can do more than associate rabbi, right? You've proven you can be senior rabbi, <laughs> right? And yeah, he was training and then, okay, you, you, you've proven yourself. I think that's absolutely part of what's going on for sure. You better right? leave your staff at home because this rock is really tough for you. Yes, that's right. So are the Israelites. Barry? Uh, yeah, well, thank you for that. For this lesson was mind-blowing, <laughs> um, especially if you're familiar with all the traditional uh, interpretations. Uh, but I... I I have a tiny thing to add to this. Uh, first, they say Shimuna HaMorim, and Morim is teachers in Hebrew. So uh, we use that a lot in our discuss- group discussions about professional burnout, which happens a lot with us. And, and this, uh, this is a classic case of professional burnout, especially they're just, their sister just died. So yeah. they are in no way uh, designed to, you know, control themselves uh, in a way that would not, they would not just do what they automatically would have done as per their natural character. So, so some of us want to argue that that should be a mitigating factor. That yeah, but that's not, that's what I'm saying. And that you that need to cut a them a hug, like they're grieving and other Mepharshim want to say, that's exactly another failure. That no matter what's going on for you personally as a leader, you have to keep it together when you're dealing with the people losing their minds. Yes. Yeah, so, so I would how badly you're grieving. God says, Vayidom Aharon. When, when Aaron's sons die, Vayidom Aharon. Aharon was silent and continued to serve. And that that's, some Mepharshim want to say, that's the model. And again, Moshe failed. So I, I don't see that as a punishment, more of a consequence, and mm-hmm. not as a failure, but just the same way that if I go to work as a carpenter, I'll be fired in a week. So some, you, some, you have to have leaders that fit the, the goals. 
Right. And, and there is no universal uh, leadership except for God. Right. Every leader has his time, her time, and her mission. And that's once right. it's completed, there's a professional burnout, and that's the, the when you should go. <laughs> and, you know, administration should allow go, people to leave without starting. Right. <laughs> leave at the top of your game. And now we're entering this phase where it's a phase of war, but also of occupation. The Canaanites were not free peoples. They were always controlled by this or that empire. So now we're bringing this new type of, you know, occupation where people enjoy uh, rights and uh, strangers are loved. So uh, speaking and convincing uh, is the leadership we need in this time rather than uh, bombing, excuse me, uh, hitting things with scabs. Amy, I, it Very sounds to me well like... Said, Barry. Very well said. Amy, it sounds like Barry is witnessing the change in leadership right now in Israel. Yeah. Uh, yes. And talk about difficulty because look how fractious it already is. Look at, you know... Look at how the demonstration of like ridiculousness that happened at the swearing in, right? Ridiculous behavior, um, right? So there, it's pretty fractious, you know, and like it hasn't changed. Not a lot's changed in, in 2000 years. All right. So I know uh, some other people wanted to talk. Linda and looks like Susan has her hand up and Al Avens. So uh, Linda, Al and Susan. Linda? Well, I think this is probably a message to us now that we need to understand one one needs to understand him his or her place in leadership and who the constituents are and and really understand when it's time to move on to and let the next generation or the next group of interested folks come up and be the leaders spoken like a past president of a synagogue <laughs> um all right well said al uh and Jack Miles, in his uh, book, God, The Biography of God, says that the Lord is a harsh character to be blunt. We are not surprised that the Lord does not submit to him willingly. Uh, you know, he, God uh, re- uh, says that the, Jew- the Jewish people are a stiff-necked people, and in return, he's kind of very meticulous and finding fault with them. So I think over the period of time in which the Jews are in contact with him, there's going to be numerous times when he, he's going to be upset with them and they're going to be upset with God. Yeah. And, 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 and I don't think any leader can really expect to uh, perform the way God wants him to because of this opposition between both parties. So, so that no leader can ultimately yeah. you know, do it without bumps right. <laughs> in the relationship. And yes, and, and it seems that there comes a time where yesh gvul, there's a, there's a limit, right, to, to how yeah. much bump, bumpiness there is. And God gets it that, all right, maybe even if it's understood that they're human and this happens, but it, it's clear that now it's like there's too many bumps in this road and God chooses a different leader. All right. Thanks, Al. Susan? Oh, I just think about Beowulf and Churchill and 
how much better it is for a leader to die at the apex of their leadership rather than to see all the things that happen after, many of which are not terribly good. I, I've always seen this as God in his own way rewarding Moses for perfection. So you're saying in a sense, this is this is uh, compensation taking into account, you know, that God, that God doesn't want Moshe to have to see. To have to see the split into two kingdoms, to have to see the internecine warfare, to have to see where all the bitching and moaning gets everyone to see that it's, you know. Well, it's a hundred years later that that happens. So like, Moshe would not have lived to see the the divided kingdom. But I know what you're saying, that like, that it doesn't get much better. (laughs) I just read Churchill's life and to have died a happy man, he needed to die at the end of the war. Yeah. Yep. So certainly that's one way to read this, that God is doing Moshe a kindness by uh, saying, okay, since you're done, you you don't need to stick around and see, you know, the second part of this, because it doesn't get a lot better, Um, right? They go into the land and start screwing up. That's why we have the prophets, right? The prophets are yelling and screaming. They get into the promised land, and is it it all fixed? Did they get to the promised land and make a just and equitable society, and everybody's worshiping God, and everybody's happy? And it's why we have the warlords. Right? That's why we asked how we have prophets. They're yelling and screaming all the time about the ways that the people are messing it all up. So, yeah, so maybe it's a kindness that Moshe doesn't live to see that, guess what? Bringing these people into the promised land didn't solve the problem, right? It didn't, it, it didn't turn into the Am Kadosh it was supposed to be, the Or Lagoyim, the light under the nations. Uh, and, and I love that Barry, you know, Barry's, Barry's able to speak to that in ways that I, I feel like I need to be careful. But, but Barry can speak to it as much as he wants since he lives in Israel. All right. So um, thank you for your attention, for being present today. And uh, it's extraordinary to learn with you as always. I know that was a lot. So um, thank you for staying with me. You've been listening to Rabbi Amy Bernstein's Friday Morning Torah Study from Kehillat Israel in Pacific Palisades, California. For more information, go to our website, www.ourki.org.